How did you come to know Jesus? Who was it that introduced you to him? Who told you about Jesus for the very first time? And could you be that someone for somebody else? In many ways, there's no reason why not. Because God loves to use ordinary men and women and young people from all kinds of backgrounds and circumstances to point people to his son. My parents were both followers of Jesus. So I grew up learning about him from them. And then they took me to a local church, a small local church, where the good news about Jesus was faithfully preached week after week. And so even as a, as a young kid, I remember sitting in church, being challenged about my need to trust in Jesus. And then when I was about four years old, nearly five, my big brother Graham, who was five years older than, than I, he was reading to me one night. And it was a book from this series, the Jungle Doctor series, which presented the gospel through funny experiences of animals that lived in the jungle. And as we were reading this book, Graham encouraged me to trust in Jesus. Now, as you can imagine, it was a long, long time ago, ancient history. But, so I can't remember all the details of that night, but I know that it was then that I first put my faith in Jesus. That night, I was brought from darkness into light. And I was given the right to become a child of God. So I was introduced to Jesus through caring parents, a faithful church, and a nine-year-old boy who wanted his little brother to be saved. None of them were experts or professional evangelists. Instead, they were just ordinary men and women and young people who just cared enough to point me to Jesus. And this is how God builds his kingdom. Even at the start of Jesus' ministry, we can see how God used ordinary, everyday people to point others to his Son. So we're going to read from John chapter 1. We're continuing in John chapter 1. And we're going to uh, start at verse 35, and we're going to read down, uh, down to verse 51 uh, this morning. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked to him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Which, when translated, is Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In this passage that we've just read, John used seven different titles for Jesus. Remember, in John's Gospel, he loves this number seven. And he uses seven, the seven I am sayings, the seven I am statements, the seven signs. And here, in this little passage, seven different titles for Jesus. And each of them help us to understand more about who Jesus is and what he came to do. His identity and his mission. So, as, we, as we've seen before, Jesus is called the Son of God. Last week it was John the Baptist who declared this. This time it's Nathaniel who declares the deity of Jesus. Jesus is fully God. But in this passage Jesus also declared that he is fully man. When speaking to Nathaniel, Jesus called himself the son of man. In fact, this is Jesus' most common way of referring to himself. And in many ways, it simply declares that Jesus is a person, a human being. Yes, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. There is, however, a bit more depth in this name that Jesus used. Because it points back to the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet. And he talked about the one, he saw a vision of the one who would come and to be established as the ruler who would receive the worship of the nations. So Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 7, There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. Power, a glory and sovereign power all peoples, nations of, and men of every language worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not ever, never be destroyed and so this title of son of man also points forward to the reality that Jesus is also our king and that's what Nathaniel also recognised. He said, Jesus, you are the king of Israel. He recognised Jesus' 
sovereignty. But unlike King Herod, who was the king of that day, this title wasn't something that Jesus grabbed through political maneuverings or deceit. It said this was a role that was given to him by God. And so, verse 41 says that Jesus is the Messiah. That is the Christ. Remember, Messiah is the, the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek version of that word. And both say that God, he is God's anointed one. He has been anointed by God. He's been commissioned by God. He's been appointed by God. So Jesus is coming with the authority to establish God's kingdom in people's hearts. And yet, despite all of what what that says, in our passage, Philip also declared that Jesus is simply Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel, he had a big problem with that. I'm sure you noticed in verse 46 that when he heard about this, Nathaniel said, Nazareth, could anything good come from there? Now, that might be in a, bit, a local bit of competition between Nazareth and Nathaniel's uh, hometown of Bethsaida. They were kind of local rivals. A bit like us saying, well, Wexford, can anything good come from Wexford? I apologise if anybody's from Wexford. But it was also because but it was also because there were no expectations of the Messiah coming from the place of Nazareth. There weren't any records of the Messiah having been born in Nazareth. Now, of course, they didn't know where Jesus was born, did they? That he was actually born in Bethlehem according to the Scriptures. So we'll see this, this carries on throughout John's Gospel. For example, in chapter 7, people ask, how can the Christ come from Galilee, the area where Nazareth was? And then verse 52 of chapter 7, look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So this highlights Jesus' humility. Yes, he was just, not just the king of Israel, he is the king of kings. God's anointed one. And yet he was not ashamed to be associated with the despised and overlooked people of Nazareth. He was not ashamed to be called Jesus of Nazareth. And it was to the downtrodden and the lost that Jesus came to bring both his revelation and his redemption. The two disciples of John called him Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus claimed, came to reveal the truth that people lost in the darkness desperately needed to hear. And we'll see how important that truth is that Jesus brought throughout John's Gospel. For example, in chapter 8, Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Loads of people use that term, that that little phrase, don't they? I'm sure you've heard it in lots of different contexts. The truth will set you free. But it's not any truth will set you free. 
It's Jesus' truth that will set you free. But that freedom will only come because Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate cost with his own blood shed on the cross. And so John the Baptist repeated his declaration here that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one who came to take away the sin of the world, just as Mags was sharing with us just before we took communion together. So this is who Jesus is. He is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the Messiah, the King of Israel, but he's also Jesus of Nazareth. He's both the rabbi who came to set us free with his truth, and he's the lamb who came to save us with his blood. This is the identity of Jesus. And if we want to be right with God, then this is who we need to accept into our lives. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the one who came into our lives to be our teacher, our leader, and our saviour. But the question we're thinking about today is, how can somebody come to that knowledge? How can somebody come to the point of accepting this amazing truth? For themselves. How do they come to put their trust in Jesus? As the forgiver of their sins. And the leader of their lives. Well ultimately they need to respond to the call of Christ. This is what Philip did. If you look at verse 43. It says the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip he said to him follow me. Now, we don't know that much about this guy called Philip. However, he's mentioned three times in the Gospels, in this Gospel, Gospel of John, and each time he's kind of struggling. So it doesn't really present him in the best of lights. So in chapter 6, he didn't know how to get food for the crowd of 5,000. In chapter 12, he didn't know what to do with the Greeks who came and asked him, could they see Jesus? And then in chapter 14, he didn't know that seeing Jesus meant seeing the Father. So Philip was a bit of a struggler. But here, Philip isn't struggling and working to the point of actually understanding who Jesus is. He isn't wondering what to do. He isn't on a spiritual journey. Instead, Jesus simply found him and called him to follow him. And without any other person involved, it seems, Philip simply responded to the call of Christ. And today there are still people who are found by Jesus without the involvement of other people. There are many stories coming out of the Muslim world especially, where people are experiencing visions or dreams of Jesus and just coming to faith in him despite never having heard a gospel message, despite having never read the Bible or been at a church. For example, I read about a story about a Muslim man who turned up at a refugee centre. And there he met a pastor who was ministering among the asylum seekers in that refugee camp. And the man told the pastor that the previous night he'd seen someone dressed in white who raised his hand and said, stand up and follow me. 
Now the man asked, who are you? And the man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And the way to heaven, I, no one can go to the Father except through me. And this guy was a Muslim. He'd only lived in the Muslim world. He'd never been in church. He'd never had any of that experience. But then he asked the pastor, who is he? And what am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? What should I, how should I, uh, how should I go? Tell me. And in response, the pastor held out his Bible and asked, have you ever seen one of these before? Do you know what it is? And the man replied, no. So the pastor then opened the Bible to the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I am Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. And the man started to cry, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? And the pastor led him in a prayer and peace came over him. Then the pastor gave him a Bible and told him to hide it because the other Muslims in the camp would not be friendly towards him and would cause him trouble. But this is what the man replied, the Jesus that I met today, he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. And he left in an early to return with ten others. He said they also want a Bible. Some people still hear and respond to the call of Christ without Christians reaching out to them, without people telling them, because God is a limitless God. But this is not the normal way. This is not the usual way that people come to discover who Jesus is. Most people need somebody to go and tell them about Jesus. This is what is Andrew. This is what Andrew and his friend needed. They were disciples of John, John the Baptist. And when they were with him, John said, "Look, the Lamb of God." And when they heard that, they left John and they started to follow Jesus. When Jesus saw them, he asked them eh, what they wanted. When they asked where he was staying, Jesus said, "Come, and you will see." Inviting them to stay with him. So Andrew and his friend, they had to meet Jesus for themselves. But they did this because John sacrificially did what he was called to do. Remember when we were thinking about this last week? How John the Baptist's role was not to call people to follow him, but to call people to follow Jesus. So basically, John just passed over his disciples to follow Jesus instead. And the world still needs to hear the gospel from preachers who will point people to Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle eh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The world still needs to hear the gospel through preachers going and declaring the reality of who Jesus is. But we mustn't think that this role is only for public preachers the likes of John the Baptist. For example, Andrew. 
he's not the most prominent guy in the Bible. In fact, he only turns up in the gospel, this Gospel of John on two other occasions. One when he brought a boy uh, who had five loaves and two fish to Jesus and then Jesus fed the multitude. And then later when he brought the needs of those Greek people who wanted to see Jesus. And he brought them to Jesus. So Andrew isn't the most prominent. He doesn't play a, a leading role in the early church uh, as you see in the book of Acts. And yet still, Andrew was focused on pointing people to Jesus. So verse 41 says, The first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew was Andrew met Jesus for himself. He was convinced that he was the Messiah and the very first thing that Andrew wanted to do, his priority was to bring his brother to Jesus. He desperately wanted his family to meet Jesus for themselves. And Peter responded. And he came to see Jesus and Jesus said to him, you are, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas or, or Peter. Cephas again is the Aramaic word and Peter is the Greek version of that name. They both mean a rock or a stone. And Jesus gave Peter that name, not because he was strong and manly and and, uh, uh, unbending, but because this is what he would become through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter was a guy who denied his Lord three times? And yet still, he's he's a stone, he's a rock. Because the power of the Holy Spirit will be in him. Now of course, our family might not respond as readily when we share the gospel. As Peter did. But our family is where our mission starts. Our mission begins at home. There's a real problem with our Christian life if we are unwilling to share the gospel with, of Jesus with our family. We really need to think seriously about that. Now that doesn't mean that we need to constantly barrage our family with the gospel. It doesn't mean that every time we see them we need to hit them over the head with the Bible. In fact, sometimes we should silently share the gospel. Remember Peter's advice to the Christian wives whose husbands were not believers? 1 Peter chapter 3 we looked at it a couple of months ago. This is what he said. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of the wives when they see the purity and reverence of our lives. So at home, our witness begins with our lives. Then it comes through our lips. Not the other way around begins with our lives. We're called to live out the gospel as well as share it whenever we can. But how will we do it? This is our mission field, folks. This is what Jesus has called us to. Remember Jesus, after he he, he released the man from a legion of demons, remember what he said to him? He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go home to your family. 
And it seems that the evidence keeps on uh, presenting itself that this is the most effective way of evangelism in especially the Western world. For example, I was reading a survey this week. We might be talking about it a little bit in our members meeting uh, from Ireland that looked at what was the main reason why somebody, the people who are in church, the people who have come into church, where they've come from, how they were, they were reached. And the vast majority were reached by their family or their friends or by people who had befriended them. So that personal relationship. So yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's challenging. And, and I'm not minimising it, uh, how impossible it might seem that you can be a, a witness to your family. But God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? And he wants to use us, especially with those who are closest to us. But like Andrew, Philip was also eager to point someone to Jesus. This time, it was his friend Nathaniel. So in John chapter 1, verse 45, it says, We have found the one Messiah wrote about in the law, and about whom the, the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And even when Nathaniel was scathing about the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth, Philip replied with a wonderful invitation and said, come and see. And when he did this, all of his doubt and all of his cynicism just disappeared. Jesus revealed that he knew his heart. He is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And when Nathaniel questioned this, Jesus replied, I saw you when you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And at that moment, Nathaniel's doubts disappeared. He was convinced by Jesus' supernatural insight and knowledge into who he was. And he responded with that amazingly clear declaration, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And in response, Jesus promised Nathaniel that he was going to see far greater evidence that pointed to the reality of who Jesus is. In fact, like in Jacob's dream, you remember Jacob, Jacob when, he, when he laid down and he saw this ladder or this staircase with the angels ascending and descending to, uh, uh, to heaven and earth? In a similar kind of way, he would see Jesus as the new and the supreme connection between heaven and earth. He would see Jesus as the connection between God and man. But this, ex- this experience with Philip and Nathaniel reminds us what our role in all of this is about. We can't change people's minds about Jesus. We can't convict them of sin. We can't force them to accept Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And we certainly cannot save anybody. It's only a personal encounter with Jesus that will transform lives. People need to meet Jesus for themselves. But they can also only come to Jesus if, like Philip, they're called by God. In John chapter 6 and verse 65 it says, No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father has enabled them. So salvation is God's job, not ours. Convicting people of the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do, that's not something that we can do. Don't put that burden on yourself. 
Don't feel guilty because you cannot do this. Because the reality is none of us can do this. But we can do what John the Baptist and what Andrew and what Philip did in this passage. We can point people to the wonderful truth about who Jesus is. We can testify to our own experience of meeting Jesus and the difference that he has made in our life. Like Andrew. And we can invite people to meet Jesus for themselves. Like Philip did. Maybe through inviting them to church. Maybe through giving them a Bible. Offering to do a Christianity Explored course with them. Or just offering to come over and have a coffee and have lunch together. And just sit down and talk to them about more about Jesus. We might be ordinary, everyday people. But God wants to use people just like us to point people to his son.